Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Contagious, infectious things about Rachel is her family and their love for each other and their championing of each other. I just, it just, you know, wells up so much joy and love in my heart. And um, that's just the beginning. And so she not only just loves on our children and leads our kids' ministry and uh, speaks and teaches Bible in our school and does the podcast with Kevin, we just VA chat. So we have a wealth of just everything in this woman, and um, and I feel like her love for the Bible and her and her just diving into it is something that we can all just uh, break a piece off of her life, and she's going to share with us today. So, y'all, give it up for Rachel Coons. gracious. Oh, what in the world? Oh, thank you so much. Oh, it's really my honor. Thank you very much. It's my honor to just be a part of Bethel. I appreciate you guys. So about VBS, true story. Um, Mike, again, that was PTSD. He's officially dealing with and overcoming PTSD beautifully, but the kids didn't know. They had no idea, and all three of those words were about emotional and mental healing. It was a gorgeous thing to watch. We'll have um, testimonies of VBS unfolding for at least the next month. We had miracles, beautiful things go on. So yay for our kids. They got some words of knowledge for you guys. They did. So we told them, let's let's hear Jesus over our big people. So I'm going to call it out. I want you guys to stand up if this is you. Is somebody experiencing uh, heat in their right elbow? What's going on? Heat in the right elbow. Jesus wants to heal you today. That's healing in your right elbow. Anybody? 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 Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Let's see. There. Oh, oh. Pain in your right elbow. So you're about to have heat in your elbow because Jesus is healing you. (laughs) Could you guys lay hands on her? And we're just going to let Jesus heal her because it's his favorite thing to do. He never says no. He's always ready. It was his good idea. We couldn't even dreamed up something as sweet as being healed all of the time. It was his idea. He loves to do it. We don't even have to ask. So we command that elbow to be healed in Jesus' name. Are you feeling any heat? Okay, there's the heat in the elbow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to leave you guys. Keep praying for her, and I'm going to keep going. So there is a lady here who just found out that she's sick. Just. It should be brand new news, something wrong. So I'm, uh, Yeah, just a lady that found out she's sick. Is that lady here that just found out she's sick? Are you here? Ashley's in the hospital? Okay. Okay, let's, let's say this is a word for Ashley. Is there anybody else too? Okay, the word is Jesus is going to heal you so quickly you won't even have time to worry. Okay, so we say yes and amen to Ashley. 
Jesus, thanks for healing Ashley so quickly. She's not even going to have time to worry about it. Bless Ashley. Heaven, heaven in Ashley's room, Jesus in her body, Holy Spirit, thank you. You possess all of her cells, all of her marrow. We bless her. We bless her in Jesus' name. Okay. Um, is, does anybody have a significant story with a red bicycle? I'm assuming when you're little, it doesn't have to be, but anybody have kind of a significant story around a red bicycle? Even when you were young, anybody with a red bicycle? You? Okay. Jesus wants you to know he knows every single thing that happened with that red bicycle. He's watching and he is very proud of you. He is very proud of you. You have done very well processing through it. Good job. Good job. Okay. Okay. Is the number 13 and a red star significant to anybody? I love this one. 13 and a red star. 13 and a red star. Okay. Your dad does too love you. You need to know that your father loves you truly. He loves you. He loves you. I think it's your earthly dad. He loves you. Okay? Okay, Phyllis. And then, has anybody lost their voice and wants it back? The Lord would like to give people voices back. Ava! Ava, okay, stand up if you want your voice back. Ava's for you. Has anybody else? She lost it from screaming at VBS. Bring it on. Evidence of a very good time. Has anybody else lost their voice and would like it back? Okay, great. Here we have another one. And this could be, man, we are in a house where we understand there's a war on your voice. So if you even lost this voice, the inside voice, go ahead and stand up. The Lord's going to give it back. If you've been fighting for courage, if you've been fighting to say what God has designed you to say, if you want to absolutely declare the good works of Jesus... Stand up. You guys lay your hands on them. Everybody turn around and just Jesus is giving your voice back. Father, we thank you for physical voices coming back. We release healing into those, that throat and those voice boxes. Healing, healing, supernatural. People are leaving with their physical voices. And Jesus, courage to every single one of us. Loose our tongues. Loose our tongues. Courage. Come up from the deepest parts of us and loose our tongues. Every one of us has a message. Every one of us is called to preach. Every one of us is called to share. People of God, speak. Use the voice that God has given. You get your voice back. You get your voice back. The one who gave you your voice is more powerful than the one who's tried to take it. You get your voice back. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. This last one, I don't think is a word. You're more than welcome to stand for this, but I just thought it was super funny. But again, if you want to stand, man, we'll take it seriously, but this is the word. Everybody is smart, but some people need a lot of practice. <laughs> Amy! Lay hands on Amy! Lay hands on her! Oh my gosh. You guys, our kids are precious. They hear the Lord. We have beautiful things going on in Kingdom Kids. I love how Bethel says it, that there's just no junior Holy Spirit. And it's the honest to God truth. We get to see it all the time. Okay, open your Bibles. Matthew 13, 10 through 18. 
I have a lot of scripture this morning and I'm gonna endeavor to communicate something beautiful and huge and complicated, but Jesus makes things wildly easy. The Holy Spirit makes things wildly easy. So I'm super excited to do this. I'm gonna kind of pray our way through this because I like to open with prayer, but I'm gonna pray our way through this scripture. So in Matthew 13, the disciples have come to Jesus. He's been ministering to the crowds and they ask him, why are you always telling stories to the crowd? And Jesus says this, he explained, you, the disciples, have been given the intimate experience of insight into the hidden truths, say hidden truths, and mysteries, say mysteries, of the realm of heaven's kingdom, but they haven't. For everyone who listens with an open heart will receive progressively more revelation. Holy Spirit, thank you for opening up in all of us that our time in the word Every time we open that Bible, Holy Spirit, we understand you lead us and you guide us into all truth and we receive progressively more revelation on top of revelation, more freedom on top of freedom until we have more than enough. But those who don't listen with an open teachable heart, even the understanding that they think they have is taken away from them. That's why I teach you people using parables because they think they're looking for truth, yet because their hearts are unteachable, they never discover the truth. Although they listen to me, they never fully perceive the message that I speak. The prophecy of Isaiah describes them perfectly. Although they listen carefully to everything I speak, they don't understand a thing that I say. They look and pretend to see, but the eyes of their hearts are closed, their minds are dull and slow to perceive, their ears are plugged and hard of hearing, and they have deliberately shut their eyes to the truth. Otherwise, they would open their eyes to see and open their ears to hear and open their minds to understand. Then they would turn to me and let me instantly heal them. Sir, thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you. Understanding equals instant healing. Revelation in the word, unfolding revelation in the word equals instant healing. So I'm declaring and have seen that today people are gonna be getting healed. Nobody's gonna have to lay hands on you and I would like to hear it. Thanks, baby. I would like to hear about it. Thanks. Boy, that breeze feels good. I'm not even sad about it. Thank you, sweetie. So we will see healings today. You guys just, let's open up our hands and just receive physical healings, all manner of physical healings, emotional healings. I love emotional healing, mental healings. The word heals, open hearts, open eyes, let Jesus heal us. Oh, good God. It's not something we have to work for and fight for. And no, we let Jesus heal us. Let Jesus heal us, sir, thank you. But your eyes are privileged for they see, delighted are your ears for they are open to hear all things. This is what we're gonna be talking about today for sure. Many prophets and godly people in times past yearned to see these days of miracles that you've been favored to see. Um, if you don't feel favored to see, if you don't feel favored any other way, as a New Testament believer, we need to feel favored of just where we are in the timeline. 
There are 4,000 years of people sacrificing, contending, understanding, I'm not gonna see it, but I believe you, God, I'll lay my life down so New Testament Christians can have the Holy Spirit on the inside. 4,000 years of faithful people that love God that did not have the Holy Spirit on the inside. No mind of Christ, no brand new heart, no washing of sins constantly all the time. They understood there was a day coming, our day, where healing himself would live on the inside of us and where it's possible that we don't even get sick. They understood that. They understood that kindness himself and that provision himself lived on, lives on the inside of us. And they knew they would never see it, but they laid down their lives so we could experience it. They were a part of getting Jesus here. It's beautiful, beautiful. They would have given everything to hear the revelation that we have been favored to hear, yet they didn't get to see much as a glimpse or even hear a whisper. Now you are ready to listen to the revelation of the, para of the, the parable of the sower and the seeds. So I love this. The disciples come, they say, why do you tell stories? Jesus go, well, he says, you're blessed. You guys understand, but not everybody does. And then he ends by saying, hey, disciples, I have a story for you. The genius of Jesus. I wonder if they caught it. Is that great? They're like, that's right. We have eyes to see. Oh, I can't wait to hear his story. <laughs> so he tells them the story of the parable of the sower and the seed. But Jesus is clearly lining out here that there is definitely a way to hear and not understand. And there's definitely a way to look but not see. And we're going to apply it today in specific to the Old Testament because there are tools that Jesus gives, that the Holy Spirit gives, that we are not terrified of everything that happened in the Old Testament. We can be encouraged by Job, you guys. We can find, we can find Jesus in Ezekiel. It's completely and totally possible. That's this heroic, wonderful story that we can completely glean from and, so, and be renewed by and be healed by. So we're gonna talk about that today. Um, we're gonna talk about looking and not seeing. So when I was 18 years old, I was, I was with a show choir and got to go to New York City. It was just the thrill up until then, thrill of a lifetime. And we got to perform and it was marvelous. And we got to see a bunch of Broadway shows. All of them were wonderful, especially for an 18-year-old, wildly dramatic, into the arts, music. I mean, I was like, this is my place. These are my people. I'm going to spread the news. I mean, I just thought New York was the end, the end all, beat all. I was just headed that way. If I would have had more courage, I would have actually headed that way. <laughs> but I just, I was just in my element, loved it. And then the shows, good God, the shows. For an 18-year-old who's just in love with being in love, woo, those shows. And we saw Les Miserables. Oh, good grief, Les Miserables. And when I was 18 years old and in a theater, the music, it was all about the music and it was all about the beauty of the theater and it was all about the outfit that I wore that I totally still remember because it was marvelous. And it was about being there and my parents weren't there and I was out on my own and it was wonderful. And then you Fontaine, she's dreaming a dream of days gone by and the, the glory of it. And just the fact that there was a character named Jean Valjean, I was one. I'm like, oh. I'm in, I love Jean Valjean. And I was raptured by this gorgeous show. It was so beautiful. And theater is a wonderful thing because 
you get to choose where your focus is. So this means if there's this beautiful woman and she's singing a wonderful song and she goes to this side of the stage and her hair is flowing and her outfit is gorgeous, you can focus on her and totally miss the guy over here getting stabbed and drugged to prison during the French Revolution, which I totally did. I didn't even catch what was happening over here. I was, oh, I mean, just raptured by the music. And rightfully so, it's marvelous. I saw it two times after that in off-Broadway tours in Texas. And three times up until the time I was 25. Loved it. Still love it. Loved it, loved it. Then the movie came out when I was 39 and had lived a little bit and had paid some bills and had been married for a second and had three children of my own and was pregnant with my fourth. So I saw Les Miserables pregnant, number one. That should be probably not the best idea. I was very pregnant too. It was not like a little pregnant. It was pregnant, pregnant. So, and in a movie, you don't have the luxury of looking where you want to see. When you have a director in the movie, the director directs your eyes and you see what he wants you to see. You look where he wants you to look. And it was literally 39, 39 years old, grown woman, fourth time that I'd seen this, the first time that it, I didn't understand what was happening. I had no idea it was horrible. Oh my gosh. I was like, who can even listen to this music? What the heck is happening? Do the French even know? How do they let a revolution like this go in their country? I mean, it was, it, I was shocked. Weeping, heaving, Kevin rightly suggested at least four times, honey, I think we should go. I was like, no, no, it's Les Miserables. So we stayed, but it was against his better judgment and I was wrong. It literally was the first time that it dawned on me, Les Miserables in the French, so beautiful, means the miserables. I was like, this is the most miserable. What the heck? What is wrong with people? So I looked at the show, but then I saw the show. When I had a director, what I saw was very different than what I had seen when I looked. And so this is just to be human. It is just to be human. It's not wrong to look, but it is right to go from looking to seeing. Now, when I was 30, I had a much more wonderful and deep encounter with the Lord. And we were not in an encounter culture, but an encounter with the Lord that took me from looking at the word to seeing the word forevermore. It was 15 years ago. And to date, it's still the biggest encounter that I've ever had that did more to change my life than ever. And it was all around the word and it was God's perspective. So we were in Texas and we were watching a, uh, a Karis Bible College. We were watching Arthur Manchus. He's a South African minister that I still love. And he was teaching and Kevin had fallen asleep when I had the biggest encounter of my whole life. <laughs> that man was in my lap. Yes, he was. He was not... and, and Arthur said something that was so truthful and that was so beautiful that I don't have time to explain today but it was gorgeous. It's a whole nother teaching, but he said something that was so truthful that at the time I said this, God walked in the room. God the Father walked in the room. Now, since then, the Holy Spirit has corrected me and he's told me, God is always in the room. That bit of truth just opened up your mind and your consciousness to discern what's always going on in the room. And so because of this truth, exactly what Jesus is talking about, I had a revelation in a, 
in a, a VHS, but in one statement that stunned me so much that I could discern what was going on and God the Father was there. And now being in an encounter culture, lots of people now read, reading stories and just talking to people, but again, it was not. We were in a word of faith movement that I loved. I loved it, loved the Bible, so much honor for the word, but not an encounter culture. But now I understand lots of people have had things like this and people respond differently. People will weep, people will shake, people will laugh. My response was this. When the father was there, I knew that I knew that I knew. I knew, I knew in my physical body that he was there and he knew what David was thinking when David reached down and he took those five smooth stones. He felt him, put it in that slingshot and he felt his muscles when he slung it around and he let it go and he directed that rock. And he's the one that made it hit the giant in the middle of the, he was there when Joshua was defeating the enemy and he knew the emotional process and the thinking that Joshua had to go through to ask for God, will you hold the sun still at Gibeon? And God did it. Hit the awareness of, of his presence all the way back and his presence now and his presence forward stunned me. It was uh, be still and know that I am God. I knew in that moment, you know everything. And my second response was, and you're so generous, I can ask you anything and you'll give me the answer. And so I did. And up and out of me, from the very bottom of me, I'll give you a little bit of background. Um, I am a Baptist, raised a Baptist, love the Baptist, man. We know some Bible stories. <laughs> I've been eating on those Bible stories from birth. I mean, we, I love the Bible. And, but I had grown up with my internal environment was something like this because I knew Jesus. I knew that Jesus was love and I knew that he adored. I knew he was only for me. And then reading through the Bible stories was super confused, not always, but some confusing things that just didn't look like him. So up and out of me came this question. I don't understand. Why would you not even tell Adam and Eve that there was this thing called the devil? They didn't even know what was right and wrong. Why would you not give them the heads up? I don't understand about Joshua who was brilliant. I don't understand where people killing people. And just, I went through the Old Testament and just, I don't understand. Help me understand. I know you're good. I'm not questioning your goodness. It's, it's, that's ridiculous. We have to be in a bad place if we're questioning his goodness. My goodness is in question all the time, but God's goodness is not in question all the time. So I didn't want to question his goodness, but I was like, Father, on paper, it didn't look good. Like you needed a PR man in the Old Testament because so much of this didn't even sound like you. And the father had an opening statement that I, again, I'm going to endeavor to talk about today. He said this, I honored a decision that mankind made. And then I spent seven days in the house just writing and he took me through the old covenant and just said, look at this, look at this. Have you seen this? This is what was happening. Seven days. I just wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. Didn't even go to work. Kevin took care of everybody and I just wrote and wrote and wrote. And it has changed my life for forever from looking to seeing in the word, from looking to seeing him. So I'm gonna give you guys some tools before we start. These are the tools. Babe, since I'm holding this, can you help? I'm gonna give you your first tool. You're gonna need this today. Can you do Jesus goggles? Oh no, just show them. Everybody put your hands up like this. Two, both of them. Okay, okay, show them how to do it, Coons. These are your Jesus goggles. You see that? Welcome to a children's minister. This is how we do it in Kingdom Kids. 
Thank you, thank you very much. I tried giving them their own little glasses and they lost them in a week and I was like, forget it. They can't lose their hands. So we do Jesus goggles. So when you are reading in the Old Testament, you need your Jesus goggles. We need to know that. And then we need to know the Old Testament is completely literal. It is literal. It was happening. That beautiful thing that we love in the new covenant about our battle is not against flesh and blood. That is because of Jesus. Pre-Jesus, their battle was against flesh and blood. They fought in flesh and blood because that's where their battle was. We don't fight in flesh and blood because Jesus raised us from the dead on the inside. But they were fighting a flesh and blood battle. So it is literal. It was happening. It was just where the condition of man was at the time. So you do, we do read the Old Testament and we get the literal truths. We learn from Samson, if your girlfriend ties you up three times and calls your enemies to come and take you over, don't go for a fourth. <laughs> Thank you, Samson. We appreciate you. It's a good lesson to know. It's literal. We learned that, but we also learn. We look for Jesus in every single one of these stories because from all the way from Genesis to Malachi, the Old Testament is a story of a good God, a perfect God, a lovely God, a kind God, a patient God, a brilliant God, being faithful to a poor decision that was made. He basically is saying in every story, you stick with me, I'll make it right. I have a Messiah. I'm creating a savior. You stick with me. Say what I'm telling you to say. Do what I'm telling you to do. Have faith. Your faith has substance. When you obey me, it actually is something I can hold in my hand. When you prophesy, it's out there for forever. I'm doing something. I am bringing a savior. Stay with me. That's the entire old covenant. So those are your, your keys. And let's go ahead and we're gonna start in Eden. So in Eden, we have Eve and Adam, Adam and Eve that made a very poor decision. And God, who has to keep his word because he's just like that. And if he doesn't, literally the fabric of everything that's everything will fall apart. The Bible says that everything is literally held together by his word. And he has to keep his word to human beings because he said, hey, human beings, I made this planet, I created this planet. It's all my idea, it's my creativity, but you're gonna be in charge of it. So just like light, God, God said, let there be light. He, he created light with his words. And since then, there was light, which this is, this is kind of beside the point, but I love to share this. Have you guys ever realized that God created light on the first day and he created the sources of light on the third day? So he gave us light and he gave us the sun and the moon on the third day. And I think even from the beginning, he's communicating. I'm your source. I'm your source. Yes, I'm making the sun to give you light and to keep things alive, but don't forget I'm your source. So God, when he says, let there be light, there's light for forever. No one can do anything about it. It is science from that point on. There is light. When God said in Genesis, a human being has to be in charge of this planet, that is forever. As sure and as scientific as light is, is as sure and scientific as a human being has to be in charge of this planet. Then it went all wrong when Adam and Eve invited an angel. That is not what God said. God did not say humans and angels can be in charge of this planet. That is not what he said. But he said, you can do anything you want to with your authority. You're made in my image. 
You're made exactly like me. I'm free, no one controls me. You're free and no one controls you. But can you see his dilemma? And so God at that point, here we are at Eden. And it, this is important to know too, Adam and Eve were not sozoed. Sozo is a New Testament word. <laughs> it shows up in the New Testament. But what it means is the Holy Spirit did not live in Adam and Eve. They were perfect. And they were in a perfect world, but God was coming and going. He came in the cool of the day to walk with them. He was on the outside. They didn't have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They were just perfect and in a perfect world. And now, but then from here, when they disobeyed, it went to the lowest point that human beings will ever be at ever again, to where they were imperfect in an imperfect world with no power on the inside of them to do much about it. So we start here, our story starts here and God has a dilemma. They have to stay in charge. He's not, it's not like him to just go, forget it. You didn't do what I told you to do with it. You made a mistake. So now it's back in my hands. That would have been breaking his word. Again, the fabric of everything would have just dissolved. So here he is and he has a dilemma and he's starting right here. Here's Eden, here we are. And God starts sending this message. And from here, the Old Testament goes like this. I wish I had a picture. It just slowly goes up. He makes a covenant, then he makes a better covenant, and he makes this covenant with Noah, and the next one is Abraham. Noah gets all the promises that Abraham had. Nope. Abraham gets all the promises that Noah had, and it just keeps going. The covenant gets stronger and stronger. God gets more. He gets more say in anything, on everything. He just keeps going, and he keeps going. But right here, he is keeping his word just moving us along. And how he's doing it is he create, we create like he creates. So he has to create through us, through what? How does he create? Speaking. So he's saying, hey, say this. And people who were faithful said that. Hey, do this. We'll start with Noah. He told a man that probably had never even seen a boat there were no sailors. I'm pretty sure that all of the continents were together at that time. There was no reason. I don't know where they were going to sail. It's not like they had anywhere to go. But it's very likely that God was like, because just from here to here, every single person on the planet quit listening to the Lord and had deteriorated to the point of, of just a low, terrible point where they were destroying each other. And God knew, if I do not intervene, there will be no one left. Human nature will completely destroy itself. So he waited till the very last minute, the very last person, which was Noah. And he said, Noah, I want you to build a boat. Noah goes, a what? Son, a boat. What is a boat? Just build the boat. Son, just do what I'm telling you to do because I'm gonna send rain. You're gonna send what? Rain. It had never even rained before. But Noah, so this is our literal lesson. Noah, who was not a sailor and had never seen rain, is still the most famous sailor with, who, who had the most important call of any sailor on his life ever. And it was just out of obedience to the Lord. So we learn our literal lesson. We don't have to understand everything. We don't have to get it. We know the one that does understand everything. We know the one that does get it. And there will be times that all of us are called to obey and do things that you're like, yeah, I, I don't even know what's going on. That is okay. That's what growth feels like. That's what growth sounds like. And we are safe and we are comfortable always obeying the Lord. Okay, now put your Jesus goggles on. So, Noah, so God is telling Noah, Noah, do this, do this, do this. Do it exactly like I'm saying to you. You're gonna build this boat. Noah, all you have to do is get inside of this boat. That's it. You just get in the boat. 
Everything's going to go crazy around you. The world is going to be losing its ever-loving mind. But you just get in the boat and you will be saved. And Noah did it. Noah, out of his faith, did it. It was substance. He had substance. It was literally something that God could hold in his hand. It had as much substance to God as this podium does to me. It has as much substance to God as this water does to us. God got his hands on Noah's obedience and things that Noah was saying. So the flood is over. God says, Noah, send out a dove. The dove comes back. Send it out again. The dove comes back. Send it out that last time. And the dove finally found dirt. These are with your Jesus goggles. The dove finally found dirt. The, the dove found a home, so the dove stayed. Okay, now we're looking for our promise here. God, where was God promising us? I have a solution to your problem. Who's the boat? Jesus is the boat. He was building. He was a story. There's going to come a day. There's a Messiah. All you have to do is get in him. The world's going to be going crazy around you, and that's fine. You get in Jesus. You will do well inside of Jesus. Who's the dove? The Holy Spirit and the new covenant, because of what Jesus did, the Holy Spirit finally had a place to, to land. He had dirt. He had us. He had a home, finally. You just see him coming and going in the Old Testament. He came on an architect. He came... He came on, well, we see just God coming, going, the Tower of Babel. God said, if I, I'm going to have to come down here and see if what I hear is true. And if it's true, I'm going to destroy Babel. That means he wasn't here. He didn't have omnipresence until Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is the omnipresence. And so God, even God was checking on what in the world are you people doing? I'm going to mess it up. You see it again at Sodom and Gomorrah. When Jesus and the two angels came, he said, if, if the rumors that I have heard in heaven are true, you better get your family out of there, Abraham, because I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. If I don't, it'll spread and human beings will destroy themselves. But he had to come because he wasn't there. It was the dove. The Lord has omnipresence now because the dove has some place to live. The dove lives in us. So here we are at Noah. Again, Noah gets a series of promises. God is faithful to his promises. They're not as great as our promises. There are few. Poor old Noah, his promise was, I won't flood the earth again and you get to eat meat. I know, which is kind of a big deal to some of us, but I mean, that's all that he got. And then God says the same thing from everybody to Noah to Abraham. He says, Listen to me, say what I'm saying, do what I'm doing. It has substance. It gives me something to work with. I can catch those words, prophesy. I can catch those words. We get to Abraham. Abraham lives the same kind of life. He says the same kind of things. And he makes Abraham a better covenant. Abraham gets everything Noah gets. Wait, Noah and Abraham and the whole human race moves forward with him. And then Abraham goes to Moses. Moses gets everything that, a that Noah, Abraham, and Moses has, and the whole human race goes forward to him. God is getting more permission to do what he wanted to do from the very beginning, the entire Old Testament. He's just moving and moving, and he's catching words. So we go, we go from Noah to Abraham to Moses to David, who is hands down my favorite, a bloomin' miracle. 
I, I don't know how David was David on where he was on the timeline. He was a phenomenon. But he gets to David and he says, hey, David, say this. There's this thing, it's called crucifixion. And my whole plan to set this thing straight, um, the Messiah is gonna die on that tree. David, say that. David says, the Messiah is gonna die on the tree. Okay, now say he's gonna come from Bethlehem. He's gonna come from Bethlehem. And this whole time, that's faith. It has substance to God. God is grabbing it. God is like, I got it. I got that. He said to Isaiah, hey, Isaiah, say this. Say that, say that the Messiah, that I'm gonna, the whole way that I, my plan to make this thing right, that Messiah, the Savior, he's gonna be born from a virgin. Isaiah said that God's plan to set things straight was that a virgin have a baby in a day where prophets got stoned for having false prophecies. I have often wondered how many people did God say that to before Isaiah had the courage to stand up and say what God said. And Isaiah said, the Messiah will be born of a virgin. And God said, good job, I've got it. And the whole old covenant, the entire, every single story, every single prophecy, 300, and 30 prophecies of Jesus in 4,000 years, that statistically, that being fulfilled is point seventeen zeros one seven. One person fulfilling 330 prophecies, it is impossible. But Jesus did it. 4,000 years, 330 prophecies, people creating made in the image of God. If he says, let there be light, we say the Messiah is coming from a, vir a virgin. Virgin. <laughs> and it has substance. And God is scooping it up through the whole Old Testament. He is just scooping. He's saving. He is fulfilling time. This is why it took 4,000 years to create a Messiah because the Messiah was that pure he was that perfect. And God was working with people who weren't even born again. So the Old Testament's like this. We were this full, then this full, then this full, then this full. Jesus is like just overflowing. The covenant just is overflowing. So it gets to the fullness of time. 4,000 years, God has all the prophecy. He has 330 prophecies. He's got countless people living lives. He's got countless people building boats. He's got countless people being falsely accused and overcoming, not even complaining. He has Joseph, just like himself, a type and shadow. Just, I, there's so many, Joshua, a type and shadow. Joshua, Yeshua, they're the same word in Hebrew. Um, the name Joseph means I will send another son. Type and shadow of Jesus. It was so important that Joseph go through his process and not even complain, which I hear people say that all the time, that it's not in the Bible. I think probably he complained, but I think that's us projecting on Joseph because Jesus didn't complain and God needed that to create our Jesus. So he's just people living, people speaking, God scooping it up. And when it came time, he had what he needed. When the fullness of time was full, when he had everything and he went and he found a virgin, her name was Mary. And he put all of that word all of those prophecies, all of that life lived from people who would never experience the promise. And he put that word in her womb. And we have Jesus, the word that was made flesh. God and man together provided, it was God through man provided the word. Mary provided the flesh. 
That's how he's all God and he's all man and boom, it was all made right. The Old Testament was time for God to get Jesus to us. It's a story of a faithful God, a God that won't quit, a God that overcomes, a God that was dealing with his own emotions, showing us you're gonna go through some hard things, but you can deal with your own emotions. The old, the entire Old Testament, countless treasures, countless mysteries of his kindness, of his goodness, of his forgiveness, and where he was taking the entire human race. So I'm gonna wrap up with uh, another favorite movie, um, Pride and Prejudice. It's favorite. The latest one with Kira Knightley. I could just look at her all day long. I just think she's beautiful. And it's this story of a young, beautiful a woman for her day, very, very fiery, very racy, a little bit rebellious from a poor family, an ill-mannered family in a system where it was, it was just everything to look the right way and sound the right way and walk the right way. And they just were having fun. So they were an embarrassment in that culture. And she meets Mr. Darcy. And Mr. Darcy with, with Lizzie, her name was Elizabeth, with Elizabeth here, Mr. Darcy would have been here. He looked perfect, he sounded perfect. He had limitless resources. He was limitlessly good, but Elizabeth didn't know it at the beginning. When she met him, she thought he was prideful and it caused her to be prejudiced. She thought he was a snob. And from that point on, everything she saw about him, he was a snob, but he fell in love with her from the second that he saw her. Love at first sight. He committed to her without her even knowing it at the very first sight of her. And so the movie is this beautiful movie of, of um, them just missing each other. It's wonderful. And of her misunderstanding. And at one point, her family gets themselves in trouble with their terrible manners. She has a little sister that runs off and marries the, the nefarious Mr. Wickham or something wonderful like that, Mr. Wickham. And it ruins the whole family and they're all gonna be poor and they're all gonna be on the street. It's gonna be terrible. They're gonna lose their house. It's just awful. They're in terrible trouble. And Mr. Darcy, who Lizzie still thinks is a snob, finds out. And he starts going behind the scenes using all of his resources all of his money, all of his connections, all of the people that he knows. And without her knowledge, he starts making everything right. He goes and finds Lydia, the lost sister, and he patches up her marriage and he pays off the nefarious Mr. Wickham. And then he, he writes a wrong with the other sister. And he just, he goes and he cares about and makes right everything that Elizabeth, that Lizzie loves. He loves what she loves. And she slowly starts to see this. And the very second to the last scene, they meet. He comes after her. He pursues her. And they're talking. And she starts to say, you did this. You helped me here. You did this. You did this. And she was shocked. And he's just listening. And he's listening. And the closing line of that scene is, Mr. Darcy says to Lizzie, who's been misjudging him and thinking that he's prideful and cold and everything, he says this about all the nice things that he's done for her. He says, surely you know it was all for you. And we are New Testament believers that need to hear all day, every single day. Surely we should know that it has all been for us. Okay, praise the Lord. All right, I'm out of time. 
Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.